Hello everybody and welcome to the first really official episode of a chat with Beulig. And to this is not really what I wanted to do with this series, as you may have noticed by now if you're watching this in real time since I posted the last one was months ago. So what I um plan to do with this series was to live stream it, to have topics and stuff, but I've been having a hard time finding topics that I want to talk about for other than just more for like a minute or two and I didn't really think I could do this for like long periods of time and stuff and so my sibling had the idea to record the discussions that we have constantly like we're constantly as we're pacing around the dining room table we discuss things and this is one of those times uh, we were actually discussing the death of the local news industry you know how um newspapers that wasn't able local newspapers that wasn't able to get to the jump to the internet have pretty much died off how uh tech companies want to use the uh free broadband am am radio wave and use that for internet and how that's going to kill off local news and such and so we were discussing this and uh, I came up with the idea of maybe tech companies like Apple and Google, you know, they have like Apple News and Google News on their devices. Why don't we just have a way where either uh, not really like force them to, but like have like a consortium between like Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Flipboard, like have a consortium where these companies come together and be like, we want to fix the local news industry not like as like in a way to like get it to where local news is more accessible to more people because what we had discussed was that the founding fathers of the united states uh really had it in mind where uh they would care more about local news and they lo people would elect local leaders and the local government would elect like the u.s senators and such and we were like discussing this and we came on the topic of local news and such. And so I had came up with the idea for um, this and like have like a consortium to where like they could like come out with like this way where like they could help local news. So they came up with this way where like local news could, that don't have like local, local newspapers and local magazines that don't have uh, the way to like make a website. They could... Uh, work with like this consortium to like, create one API so that Apple News or Google News or Microsoft News or Flipboard could like adopt this API to get local news into it. And after we had this discussion, we we're like, hey, we should probably record this. So this is the recording that we have. I did edit out as many of the spaces and pauses and ums as I could. But hope you enjoy. This is the first official episode of A Chat with Lake. And let's get right into it. Everybody, when they start out, their content looks really amateur. But um, then, as you uh, as you get an audience, and as you then start to have the money flowing in, whether through uh, you know Patreon or through um, ad dollars, you then then make your content more professional. But like, I know there's also people who are like me. Like I'm one of these people who are like, if the video 
has like bad audio, I won't watch it. If it has bad video, I won't watch it. So I know there are people like me that are picky about that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. But see, I find it kind of funny how oftentimes, there's been plenty of times on podcasts, when I listen to a podcast, where they apologize for bad audio, and I'm like, it sounds good to me, I don't know what uh, you're talking about. And it's really funny, because then I'll watch, I'll, I'll listen to, uh, I'll listen to like the, the podcast version of like, a show from TV, you know, it's like meant to be a TV show, but uh, they also released the, the audio of it in the podcast, and I'm like, I can tell that this isn't made for a podcast. This is made for visuals, too, you know, because it's just, you can tell the difference. But you'll hear like little clanks in the background and stuff, yeah. And, and you don't hear that stuff on TV because you're focused on watching, but when it's just the, the audio. Yeah, you hear that. Yeah, I have that with some of the podcasts I listen to too. Because uh, one in particular, the ones that I get in my newsroom, or mostly from my newsroom, I also get it from NPR, PBS, but also. But, yeah, I can definitely tell that it's made as a YouTube video first and a podcast second. Because there are things where you would, you won't, like, like on, like, like on the Twit podcast, they describe stuff, what's on the screen and stuff. Or he doesn't do that. Oh yeah, it, it's always I I where I one of the phrases I can't stand is when it's a podcast and they record it for like YouTube, right? But then they also release it as a podcast, and they're like, for the people who are listening, and I'm like, if this is if your if your show is being you know a lot of these shows like they're meant to be a podcast, right? Most people don't listen to it the podcast. They aren't going to watch the YouTube video. For the ones that like I've come into contact with, and I'm like, you should be making it for a podcast first and visual second. But that that's just my opinion. But yeah. So anyways, that's what I think. I, I like your I like your idea though. I really do. Of have a uh, this. I mean, tech technology caused this local news desert problem. And normally I would say technology caused the problem. The the solution shouldn't be more technology. But I do think this is one of those instances where. You know, realistically, you aren't going to get people to subscribe to actual, real newspapers again. You know, so have a platform and make it easy for to have local news on a platform to push it out to platforms. You know, and have local news on this platform, get it out to people. Yeah, I think that that's a a good idea. I mean, like I I don't have access to those statistics and stuff, but like. Apple News is pre-installed on iOS devices. Many people on Android download Google News. So well, I mean, Google News is kind of... I don't know if in the newest versions of... If they still have the minus one screen. But like on my Android phone... Oh, you mean like the screen where you swipe over? Yeah. Yeah, they still have that. Oh, because on, on my Android phone there's the minus one screen. And they, they show news in that. They show Google News stuff on that. Mm-hmm. So at least like Google News, yeah, I guess it would, I guess it is true that Google News is technically pre-installed. Even if it isn't the formal app. Cause I think it gets that information from the Google app. So oh, Google News comes from Google. No, the information on the minus one screen. Oh, the information on the minus one screen comes from Google. Yeah, it comes from the Google app. Because oh. the Google app is more than just search. Is that why? Cause I needed to edit a setting for that minus one screen. Is that why it took me to the actual app called Google? Yes. Oh. 
See, they've really changed that app, because when I first got my first smartphone, uh, the Google app was just to search Google. Mm-hmm. But now there's, like, updates, and you can, like, pin weather to your home screen from there, and you, that's where you get, you get your financial information from, which I still think they need to do, at the very least, due to the finance financing, due to that, what they did with weather, where if you go to it, it says, hey, do you want to pin this to your home screen? And then it makes it like its own self-contained app, even though it's still technically the Google app. Well, didn't you say that that's how Google Podcasts started out? Well, initially, what it was, was you downloaded the podcast app, and that was like the interface, but all the backend stuff was from the Google app. Um, but I'm guessing now that podcast, this is a redesigned podcast, and podcast is coming is now on iOS, that they changed that. Well, their web interface is as bare bones as it gets. It's what, yeah, the web one, yeah. Well, I mean for podcast. Oh, for podcast. Yeah, for podcast. Oh, the web interface for the podcast app. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The web, the, the website for Google Podcasts is as bare bones as it gets. I went to it yesterday just because I was curious. I'm like, I wonder if Google Podcast has a website. Because I'm sure they do because it's Google. Mm-hmm. But, and so I went to it and it is so incredibly bare bones. And like, I thought the, the web interface for Overcast, like the, the yeah. iPhone app Overcast, I thought that web interface for that was bare bones. But no, Google Podcasts is more bare bones than even Overcast. And Overcast is actually a really good app. Google Podcasts, I think Google's still figuring out podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things where Google is kind of late to the party. Yeah, they're like, podcasting. they're like 15 years late. <laughs> Um, and I think it's the kind of thing where Google's still trying to figure things out, and so, um... Well, quite honestly, I think the other reason why Google came out with the Google Podcast app was, one, because they knew they wanted to get rid of Google Play Music, but two, because, from what I can tell, before Spotify started to do podcasts, really the only podcast app that, that people used, you had to pay for. Was, what was that called? I think it was like Pocket Cast or something. Pocket Cast, yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, see, because the funny thing is when I first got into podcasts back in like 2013, it was like podcasts were still like mainly an Apple thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, the word podcast, the pod part comes from iPod, you know? Yeah. It's like, and like podcasting was mainly an, an Apple thing. There, it really wasn't on Android yet. And for the longest time, there was people who were like, and I, I'd listen to podcasts, and they'd be telling people, you know, you can get us on Spotify. We aren't just on Apple. You know, it's like, because people were convinced, oh, podcasting is just for Apple. Uh, and now I think podcasts, I think it's because of those smart speakers, mm-hmm. uh, that podcasting is becoming kind of this more mainstream thing. It isn't just an Apple thing anymore. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, because basically the Google Podcast interface, it has two tabs. The first tab is, like, the trending tab. Mm-hmm. And then the second tab, it just shows you your shows. And it, it isn't like on the, the app on the phone, 
where it gets, shows you a list of the episodes that you can click and add to your queue and stuff. No, it's none of that. It's literally just, here's your shows, you can click on a show and play an episode from there. But for the most part, for, for the most part, it's like, it's like the, the web interface was an afterthought. And they just had to do it because they're Google, and so they have to have people expect them to have stuff on the web. But I imagine that most people who have Chromebooks probably just download the Android app anyways. Oh, do they have the web interface for Chromebooks? Um, what do you mean by that? The web version of Google Podcast is it for Chromebooks? Um. I w that I don't know, but I imagine that if you do listen to podcasts on a Chromebook, you probably just download the Google Podcast app, or oh. like Pocket Cast or whatever. Because you can get Android apps on Chromebooks. Yeah. And I think any, like, modern Chromebooks, and probably a lot of older ones, can now just do Android apps. That makes sense. Although, see, it's kind of funny, right? Because it's like Chromebooks, when Chromebooks are done, it was like, oh, look, we think... That all people need on a laptop these days is, is a web browser. They don't need anything else. And then it's over time, it's like, okay, I think they kind of have defeated. They kind of been defeated on that Google has because now it's like Chromebooks can do Android apps, and you can install, on some Chromebooks, you can install uh, Linux apps. And so it's like, I mean, and then isn't there, I. I heard, I think, I don't know if this came to fruition, but when I was still into technology, there was like this rumor that they were going to find a way that you could do Windows apps on Chromebooks. Yeah, I heard that rumor too, but as far as I know, it's never come to fruition. Um, okay. But yeah, so that's the kind of thing where it's like, it turns out, and then they have those new web apps. Mm -hmm. And so it turns out, it's like, yeah, actually, you do need apps on that. On a, um, you do need more traditional software on a laptop. You can't just have a web browser. Well, I think uh, I think the only reason they uh, put Linux apps on Chrome on Chrome OS is so that developers who develop Google uh, like Android and Chrome OS apps on Chrome OS, a Google platform. Oh, you can develop Google app, the apps for Google platforms on the Google platform. Uh -huh. Because before that, most people just use Macs. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of funny. Google, they were developing for Google, but they were doing it on Apple. I think even, like, Google itself was using Macs, it wouldn't surprise me. Could you do it on Windows? Yeah, you can do it on Windows. They just weren't using Windows. They just weren't using Windows. It, my understanding, though, is that Chrome OS is a lot like an iPad, just on yeah. a laptop. Yeah, it's basically an iPad. Uh, an iPad. I think that's why they were replacing their tablet OS, uh, Android for tablets, with uh, Chrome OS. For tablets. Yeah. Even though Samsung still comes out with Android tablets. It's like the only one as far as I know. Are there many Google OS tablets in the first place? Google OS? Yeah, whether it's Android or Chrome. Oh. Android, basically the only one I can think of is, uh, is um, Samsung. And when it comes to Chrome OS, uh, I can't think of any like direct tablets other than the Pixel Slate. See, which I, even like the Pixel Slate, really to use the OS, you needed a keyboard. Well, see, the thing to me, it seems like, cause, you know, when t when the iPad first came out in twenty ten, it was like everyone was like, "This is a revolution in computing," 
tablets are the future, and um, tablets were like a fad in like 2011, 2012, and then after that they like had like a slow decline, and I feel like in the last several years, at least maybe since 2018, uh, tablets have basically been dead. Like, because I think, and I think you, the way you know tablets are dead is the less people making tablets, Microsoft and Apple, they don't want to call their tablets tablets anymore. They want to call them computers and laptops and these kind of, these other terms. And I'm like, okay, tablets are dead. Like, that yeah. proves tablets are dead. Um, Microsoft calls their service line uh, laptops. Uh, Apple calls them laptop replacements. And so, to me, I think, and I think another way you know that tablets are dead is the fact that you can use a mouse on the iPad now. Yeah. You know, that only comes about when Apple wants to keep this product line going, and they, it's a form factor that no one wants anymore. You know, it's like... I, I personally never thought that Apple was going to uh, put uh, trackpad support on an iPad. Oh, I never thought that they were going to do that either. And then they, they actually did, and I think, I think that that's like, in some respects, that's the final nail in the coffin, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you start to make these, when you start to make, when the iPad starts to become more like a regular computer, that only proves that the iPad form factor wasn't a very, it wasn't as revolutionary as people want to believe it was. Um, but I think part of the issue is, in many ways, iPads replaced netbooks. Mm. You know, you had netbooks, right, in like the late 2000s decade. All these really cheap, underpowered laptops. A lot of them ran Windows Vista and Windows 7, you know. So you had netbooks. And the netbook, and just as the netbook fad was going out of style in 2010, you know, that's when Steve Jobs um, gets on stage. And he, uh, you know, if you, if you go back and look at that iPad event, you know, what is he going after? He's going after netbooks, right? He directly attacks netbooks when he introduces the iPad. And so in many ways, the, the iPad, the tablet form factor, replaced the netbooks, the netbook. And now it's like, um, the tablet form factor is kind of it's going away because it turns out that uh, at the end of the day, you know, people don't necessarily need a second device for consumption, you know? It's like, I think for a lot of people, they're right, they need two devices. They need their phone, right? And that's their main device, is their smartphone. And then they have a laptop, which they use for more productivity stuff. You know? Mm -hmm. So, they do, and particularly since phones have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and phones are basically just tablets by another name now, it's the kind of thing where there's very little room in the marketplace for a like, traditional kind of tablet these days. And so, I think that's just, you know, um, and so I kind of wonder, right, what's going to come after, what is like the next big kind of consumption form factor, right? Because I think, I think when the tablet form factor started to die, that's when around Chromebooks started to become popular, you know? And so Chromebooks, people were calling them Netbooks 2.0, you know? Um, and Chrome, I don't know how popular Chromebooks are, these days. Well, I know they're really popular in the school setting. Yeah, I think that's where they found their place, though, is. Uh, they found their place in schools because it's easy to lock them down and then, you know, and then the, the, the kids only have access to 
the stuff that they, that the school district wants them to have access to. Because, you know, it's like, when we were in schools, and, you know, it was like Windows XP, you know, you, it was very easy for kids to go and play the pinball game. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, we're with Chromebooks. It, it, to my knowledge, Chromebooks don't have a pre-installed game. Not that I can think of. So, uh, oh yeah, they do. The dinosaur game. Oh, the dinosaur game. Okay. I guess that does count. Yeah. Which but, you only see if you don't have internet. Which if if you're over the high school we graduated from, which was constant. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I didn't I didn't learn this until my senior year, but apparently the uh, the. IT department gave the ability for the teachers to kick people off the internet. And so, really? Yeah, so when the teachers were trying to like upload things to Google Classroom, they would kick people off the internet so that they could use up all the bandwidth. Oh. I always thought it was just because it was a rural area. And rural areas just tend to have slow internet. The only... There was that one time in my uh, senior year where AT&T went down, and so and the internet they had was AT&T, and so the school's internet went down. Oh no. And then like most of the kids, uh, at least in my grade, uh, had AT&T, and so most kids didn't even have phones. Oh, their phones? phones? Yeah, their phones were AT&T. Oh. And so most, ki most of them didn't have, but me with Verizon and my hotspot, I was still able to get work done because of my hotspot. <laughs> one of the benefits, one of the few benefits of Verizon, right? Yeah. Uh, see, it's kind of funny because in Tuscola, most kids in my grade had either Verizon or Sprint. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, when U.S. Cellular was a thing, a lot of kids had U.S. Cellular, but then U.S. Cellular, like, sold their Illinois towers to Sprint, and so then the kids went from U.S. Cellular to Sprint. Uh, yeah. So, it's like, a lot of people had, most people had Verizon, the number two was Sprint. Uh, there really wasn't very many people with AT&T. But yeah, it makes sense though in Texas that uh, they'd have AT&T since that's where AT&T's headquartered is in Dallas. So anyways, I guess that's all for this episode. <laughs> yeah.